Let's talk about this movie, Spencer. Spencer is the latest film directed by Pablo Lorraine. He, he did another film in 2019 that I didn't see. I think we talked about trying to catch it at one point. It was called Emma, E-M-A. And I didn't see it. Did you see Emma? Did you get to that one? Um, no. Did that... I, I, did that come out last year or this year? I've, I've seen it on like best of the year was, list for both. Yeah, it was a 2019 release, I think, um, or a festival release. And then I think, yeah, it, it, it got a little bit of buzz in 2020. And people were starting to watch it then. But and we talked about seeing that. Yeah, I mean, I don't I didn't see it. Yeah, for it's quite good. I mean, I was thinking about this earlier. Like, I, I've only seen, I think, uh, two other Pablo Lorraine films before Spencer. I saw No with Gail Garcia Bernal. And then I saw Jackie. And I really like both of them. And I was just kind of like, you know, like, I don't like I don't consider like uh, Paulo Laurent to be like one of my favorite directors. But I f- sorry, Paulo Laurent. I apologize. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I think he has a pretty good track record, though. It seems like that Apple TV plus thing he did kind of came and went this year. So oh, are you talking about a uh, Lysi story? Yeah, the Stephen King yeah, that was, adaptation. That was one of those things that like people liked it, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a buzzy release, uh, but he directed all of that, and um, I think that's um, that's Stephen King, isn't it? I think that's a Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, yeah, so it yeah, should it have is, more yeah. buzz in it. It should have, it should have had more buzz. But hey, what are you gonna do? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I haven't seen No, but I have seen Jackie as well, and and Jackie, I think, was a a really good movie that not enough people. I think came out to watch and celebrate. Like it had some like very early awards buzz, but then I think yeah. some people are saying Spencer is going to be similar in the sense that like mm-hmm. it had a splash and then it just kind of like fizzled out as like other movies took the stage. Um, I think yeah. that movie though, like people people were looking at that in the same way with Spencer was like the costumes, the production design, and then mm-hmm. the actress, you know, at the center of it. Jackie was a movie that was about Jackie Kennedy, and it was like a sort of. Uh, I saw I heard one critic refer, I think it was Katie Walsh, be like he he makes these doom princess doomed princess movies right um and so jackie was that and then yeah yeah well i was gonna say i mean i was gonna get into this more in my review but i feel like this is sort of like the inverse of jackie right because jackie is a woman dealing with the aftermath of a tragic death whereas like spencer is like sort of like this like weird like inevitability of her death and like kind of like her almost kind of coming to terms with the fact that her life is going to meet her end. So it's like almost like the mere opposite of Jackie in that respect. Sure. And Spencer is also a total anti biopic where they are purposefully not trying to do a true story. They're not trying to give you a packaged recap of a person's uh, life uh, or a fable uh, yeah, based on a f- true tragedy is what the title card yeah. says, right? Yeah. Which is which is a great way to start the movie because it does set your expectations there. So you can understand like, okay, a lot of this is going to be fictional, but the spirit of it is going to be like probably very interesting. It's not doing nothing like we've seen in like, uh, what was it? Uh, the, the, the one that was last year with Renee Zellweger, that, that biopic. Cause uh, wasn't that like Judy? a Judy? Yeah. What wasn't the that Judy movie Garland kind film? of like just a moment of her life, but it was like, there were back, maybe there were like sure. flashbacks and things like that. Yeah, I mean, there have been at least one or two other uh, Princess Diana movies. I don't think we've gotten like a full like traditional biopic, but we had that one with Naomi Watts called Diana that Oof, came out, terrible. which was like kind of trying to do similar thing. It was like the last three years of her life, I think, um, and focusing on an affair that she had. And yeah, I mean, I don't think we've actually ever gotten like a traditional uh, Princess Diana biopic, but I feel like 
maybe more so than most other political figures or royal family figures, like her life has been so publicized and so speculated yeah. on stuff that it's almost basically kind of common knowledge, even for us in the U.S. And the crown is already doing it. The crown and, you know, their most recent season covered like the first like I, I, I didn't see it, but I think it covers like the first few years, maybe the first decade of her marriage to Prince Charles and all that. This movie takes place in 1991. So it's been a decade since they got married. And the movie does rely a bit on you knowing about Princess Diana in order to sort of fill in the blanks. I mean, I think you could watch this without knowing all the details and still get Mm -hmm. the spirit of it across, but it definitely doesn't hurt, right, to have the context of what happens before and after this movie. Um, In fact, I I think some people have even said like, oh, I was confused because I I didn't really realize, you know, that she wasn't really divorced with Charles yet, but they were separated. And some people were a little confused about that, I guess. But I, I felt like I was able to pick up on that, you know sort of thing yeah i mean uh princess diana i mean i was like very young when she died so i don't have yeah, that much too. familiarity with her but like i don't know that much. i know like kind of the general gist like the thing like some of the big pop culture moments i guess of her life and then like For i me, know it was about the her first, death but yeah it was, it was the first like major death tragedy that i was aware of like oh, really? the media frenzy around it. It was on the news all the time. I, I don't remember like a made like a death of a single person or some kind of like scandalous thing like that happening. Because I was around like seven years old, I think, when okay, she died. Yeah. I I think I was four years old when it happened. So I don't really have any cognitive memories of it happening. I mean, I guess I was around, but I don't like, you know, I don't remember much about it, if anything. You were hanging out. Uh, yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, I was probably just thinking about kindergarten or something. So um, preschool. You were, you were in Belfast be. mode, you know, like sure. you're, you're singing Everlasting Love. Just a movie, <laughs> just a movie about me trying to process the death of Princess Diana as a kid or something. <laughs> that's the, see, that that'd is be, what Pablo Lorraine should have made. Uh, that's That would be a very boring film. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, that's all that. Yeah, that's all to say that um, my familiarity with Princess Diana was fairly limited, but I felt like I didn't have any questions or confusion about her life uh watching the film at least yeah for, for me i learned more about diana later on you know like i i remember hearing certain things I, I had the understanding as even as a kid that she was a highly publicized princess i in fact i was even misinformed like i misunderstood her origin and because i thought she was like oh she was like a teacher she was like a commoner who married a prince and that was not the case she was she was she came from nobility like close to the family but she was the first princess who like she was the first one to marry into the family who had had a paying job before her marriage you know, she was a teacher yes. adjunct i think and so there well, was that's, that speaks yeah. to the narrative right there's this sort of like oh she's a a princess of the people, even though she, she wasn't mm-hmm. like nobility. It's kind of, I guess, similar to Meghan Markle where, you know, she's technically a commoner, but she was like a major celebrity when she married Prince Harry, who right. hey, is in this movie as a, I mean, not him, but <laughs> yeah, as a young boy. Right. Well, I mean, that, that is honestly, I think uh, what Pablo Lorraine has said, like he, his intent with the film was to focus on how a woman like that can be so normal in a life that is so abnormal. And like you said, I think there's obvious reasons for it. But even then, like, I think the fact that she had this kind of nobility and all that, but she was willing to openly and emotionally interact with like the common people, obviously, like the whole um, where I think she like touched an AIDS patient was like a big deal for that. And like, there's a lot of other things where she was like, willing to like, kind of like, uh, be with the people in a way that that felt very uh, revolutionary, I guess, like felt like something like that was almost unheard of for like the royal family that were just so like 
caged off and, you know, elusive in this way that obviously she wasn't. And, you know, Mar- with the, the tragedy added to it, it gives her like this kind of weird balance of like mystique, but also there's like this like humanity to her life and legacy that, uh, you know, I think makes it still very uh, painful for a lot of people to reflect on. You can really tell that pop culture had to really process Princess Diana's death through like movies and TV shows because she died in the the 1990s from a car accident in Paris. And I, I always remember how like the princess diaries comes out a few years later. And to me, that always felt like a sort of reclamation of that princess, you know, who kind of comes from seemingly humble beginnings. And then I think the sequel to that movie was very much sort of like echoing the ideals of Princess Diana and what she meant to people, but kind of using film and using pop culture to sort of bring her back almost to like sort of revive that message. Now with Spencer, this movie is doing something totally different from anything I've ever seen from a film or a show or anything tackling Princess Diana. Because like you said, I think Lorraine does understand that people know the story inside and out. A lot of people are sick of people sort of capitalizing on how publicized her death was and capitalizing on that recognition of her name in order to pump out art to make money. There is that element. So I really, really love what Paulo Rain is going for here. Like the fact that he's going for it at all, which is, as we said, it's a fable. It's a sort of like high concept, fictional, let's just make a movie that really just like hits on this moment in time. It's not about her death. It's about, you know, it's several years before and it's her at like a pivotal moment of her life, just a couple of days around Christmas time. It is a Christmas movie covering the psychological trauma she went to in just a capsule. You know, the, the sort of things that she had to deal with from not having any freedom, not having enough agency, dealing with, uh, there should be trigger warnings, I think, for this movie and for what we're about to talk about, but there there's a lot here about eating disorders. And there's a lot here about what, you know, what she did to her body in order to sort of live up to not just the pressures of the royal family, which she always felt disconnected from and always uncomfortable around. And the, the film even uses like the house to be this constantly uncomfortable place. It's like mm-hmm. the, the shining sometimes. And, you know, they oh, yeah, absolutely. have like the air quality, like it's cold and uninviting. It's super on yeah. the nose. Well, I was thinking that too, because I was like, I know I just went through like a month of horror movies, but it feels like this is like kind of like horror adjacent at times in a way that I didn't anticipate, but really liked, like, it feels like, you know, like the house is literally like suffocating her at times. Like it's, you know, even though it's like this huge expansive house, it feels like constricting at so many different points and like how, you know, she can't like, she physically cannot leave. Like she keeps trying to like walk away and these people keep pulling her back in, in a way that, you know, is, is a, is a little literal, but in, in a way that I found pretty affecting and engaging. Yeah. It's it's haunting and has a it has a horror score by Johnny Greenwood, the best score of the year in my opinion. I I yeah, the best for sure. Yeah, I, I I easily my favorite, and I I think I that mean, it's yeah. it's gotta it, it's gotta get nominated. I I could see definitely see it winning. Well, yeah, it's a big year for Johnny Greenwood. He has this. Yeah. He has Power of the Dog. I think he did the score for, and then yeah. he also did uh, Licorice Pizza. So he'll probably get nominated and win for at least one of those. I think. I think so. I think this is his year. I think that Phantom Thread was an unbelievably good score and I still listen to it. It's that good. And, you know, speaking of licorice pizza, but yeah, so with Spencer, I I refer to this in my review is like, it's like a ghost story where the ghost is still technically alive. 
right? Where a lot of things like happen, but it feels like a ghost is going through it. And it's, it's such a fascinating way to tackle this subject matter. There are scenes where you can't take them literally. And you have to sort of wonder, you know, is she doing this in real life? Probably not. There's a scene where she is like eating something, for example. And it's like, okay, that's clearly not the case. And there are even moments when these things are played for last. I got a huge laugh out of this movie involving, I won't give it away, but it involves the score and it involves like the revelation of like where music is coming from that even though I was terrified by what was going on, I was like unbelievably, like I, I felt all of this like amusement and like laughter from it. It was, it was kind of disconcerting almost, but also this movie is very light and there are moments here. I think one of the best scenes in the film where it's just Diana with her kids and they're just, it's like a, a set a breath of relief and, and fresh, you know, like there's warmth all of a sudden, like the, the color palette changes and she's just hanging out with her kids and goofing around with them late at night. And it, it's one of the best, I, I, it's probably my favorite scene out of the whole movie. There's a lot to talk about here and I, I want to be careful about what we say, but, um, I want to turn it to, over to you. I also want to say Kristen Stewart. I think she's really good in this role. And if she wins best actress, I, I think that's, uh, I think it's well-deserved because she puts on a heck of a performance. I, I, I've seen some criticism toward her performance and maybe we'll get into that, but I think it's spot on. Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, maybe I missed this, but I was kind of surprised leading up to it that there wasn't more controversy about uh, an American playing such a, you know, iconic British person. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she does a great know, job though with like, you know, it's not a princess Diana impression. She's not doing a princess oh, yeah, Diana yeah. voice. She's just doing a British accent. She's doing her own right. thing with it, which is also very fascinating. But I think, and I, I would hope that's a credit to Kristen Stewart that people are just like, Oh, well, Kristen Stewart's doing it. Well, yeah, she was great. And uh personal shopper, you know, why not let her play princess Diana? Um, but you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe it was just because last year there was so much going on. People didn't uh, speculate on that, but I just feel like, you know, if, you know, if American got cast as James Bond, all hell would break loose in the UK. Like, they'd just be like, uh, uh, <coughs> it'd just be like, you know, pandemonium over there. But like, you know, an American plays uh, Princess Diana, I don't hear a peep about it. So, and yeah. I don't think there should be, but I just, I just find it amusing that there wasn't. I'm um, always happy but, to see that yeah. though, just because, we, look, we have British actors play Americans all of the time. It's such oh, a sure. double standard and we don't care. We're just like, hey, yeah, come on in. Water's fine. Uh, well, Benedict yeah, Cumberbatch. I, mean, I think more, it's usually just like, oh, he was British. Oh, though cool. I feel, I feel like, though, with, I don't know, I mean, I still need to see Power of the Dog, but I kind of feel like any time Benedict Cumberbatch plays an American, it, it's always very apparent to me, because it's always just oh, like, yeah, well, howdy, well, howdy, y'all, <laughs> my name like is Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Mass. <laughs> Black Mass, um, that was it. Well, I was thinking of, um, what was the, the Guantanamo Bay movie that uh, came out this year um, with Judy Foster? Okay, well, he's just like, I'm your southern good boy, and I'm just, you know, a regular old American uh, in, in a way that, I mean, I, I like the movie fine, but I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> um, but that's neither here nor there. That, that has nothing to do with uh, with Princess Anne or Spencer. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I was quite taken by her performance. One thing I really, really enjoyed about the film is that I, I think it channels something about Kristen Stewart that I find really fascinating and something that I think uh, a lot of filmmakers have used well, which is that like, even though she's obviously like a beautiful, talented actress, she always feels deeply uncomfortable, like in her skin and feels like she's like almost like kind of like crawling out of her body. 
in every like role that she's in, even like some of the lesser films. And I think that's a, I think that's part of the key to why I think she's such a um, endearing screen presence. There's like something about her where it just kind of feels like she's just uncomfortable with not only her fame, but just the idea of being alive. And I think that's a really inspired idea for casting her as princess Diana, you know, like this uh, woman who is, you know, always in every single moment, even like these personal times in her life, she's expected to be like this kind of prim and proper person like always expected to be the elegant person, always expected to be like Princess Diana, always expected to be, you know, like on in this way that like even like in her personal life when she's just like with her kids and stuff, she has to kind of embody a certain image. And like even, you know, like when she tries to have a moment by herself, there's always someone around like being like, oh, you have to be like this thing. You have to be here. You have to put this dress on and stuff. And I think that makes uh, Kristen Stewart's casting really inspired. And I think she fits into the role really well for that reason, because she's able to kind of play into that inherent uh, uncomfortableness with being a celebrity, with being this person kind of fitting this image at all times. But also, I just think she's able to kind of acknowledge the sort of like um, the the facade of really like being in the royal family, but in a way that feels genuine and which is a really, really tricky balance that I'm really impressed with how she's able to pull off in a way that, um, yeah, I think it's just really a great credit to her as an actress and as a screen presence that she's able to kind of find this uh, really tight balance between being this kind of idyllic image of Princess Diana, but finding this, uh, you know, somewhat falsified uh, image of like, you know, like who she was behind closed doors, which is obviously, you know, a personification because we, we won't fully know unless, you know, maybe something comes out from the royal family, which it probably never will. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, just that's all a roundabout way of just saying that uh, it's a really tricky performance to pull off. And I think she deserves a lot of credit for it because she does a great job. It's also a tricky movie to pull off because, like you said, by tackling who Princess Diana was behind closed doors, you do run into the danger zone of your film feeling exploitative of this human being. And I think it could have very easily fallen into that trap. Some people still think it did, you know, in their opinions. Uh, but I, I certainly don't. I think that what's fascinating to me about this movie is the fact that Princess Diana was a fairy tale that turned into a tragedy. You know, it was this fairy tale romance that turned into all of this scandal because of her, her alleged affair and Prince Charles' affairs. And then it ended in tragedy. It ended, you know, her life was cut short. And this movie is sort of unpacking through a character study, a really great character study, what was really like, what can be at the heart of a person going through something like this. Like one of the things that I think is brilliant about what Stephen Knight, the screenwriter, kind of lays out here in terms of like the screenplay is she barely interacts with the royal family, like almost never. Like she has, I think, maybe one scene with the queen. And it is uh, it's very memorable. Directly. Directly. I mean, she, yeah, yeah. One direct scene with the queen. Yeah. It's like one-on-one. -on -one. She has like one one-on-one -on -one scene with Prince Charles, but most of the time she's interacting with the help. She's interacting mm -hmm. a lot with Sean Harris, the cook who his introduction in the film is brilliant <laughs> in terms yeah. of like, th this movie is like a, a gourmet food, you know, oh, th yeah. there's a lot of food porn in this, including, um, I, I won't give away, but there's a chain at yes. the end of the film that I, Brilliant. yes, great. Chef's great, kiss. Great stuff. 
Uh, um, because um, I was talking with my friend who I went to a movie with. We were just kind of like, he was telling me, hey, did you know that Prince Diana was a big fan of this brand? And I was like, oh, I had no idea how that happened. It's just like, I don't know, but they're like making sweaters for her and all this stuff for the lead up to the film. I was like, oh, that's kind of an odd choice. Wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if uh, that brand was in the movie and then the end of the film happened and it's like the Super Bowl happened for us because the theater was mostly absent. So it's just like, it happened. It happened. <laughs> it's <that's> here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, like I was saying, I mean, it, she, she, she mainly, mainly interacts with the people who I think that's the film posits that she can trust. Like she feels like she can connect with because, you know, they're not nobility like her, but they are, you know, they're not royals. And so she interacts with Sean Harris. She interacts um, a lot with Sally Hawkins character who plays her royal dresser and she sees her as a friend, but then she does start to get the feeling. She start, starts to get the anxiety of like, who can I trust? Who's saying things about me? Who, you know, all of the gossip is getting to her. And it, yeah, it's a movie about anxiety yeah. and depression and, you know, how we, we can feel like relationships, like people are turning us against one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, Timothy the walls Sp- are always like echoing with whatever she says. Exactly. Even if it's, yeah. Yeah. It's Everyone really hears effective. everything. It's yeah, very, it's yeah. very blunt about all that messaging and Timothy Spall, um, also is kind of one of those characters who's, you know, always given her gruff about every little thing. Right. And oh, he's the major perfectly cast. Yes. Timothy Spall. hundred percent. Great grump. Just a great grump. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I honestly think that this movie gets a lot of things right. I I've seen the main criticisms I've seen that I do think are kind of valid, but they, they don't ruin what I, my enthusiasm for the film, I'm, I'm pretty high on it, but, uh, some, some of the criticisms, criticisms I have seen have been like, okay, there are one too many or several too many times when they explain the metaphor, which I do get. Like there, there are a few times when I think it can be interpreted as Pablo Rain thinks we're dumb. (laughs) And he's like, okay, so you may, you you have to say that like, she sees herself as the pheasant. We can't just have that sitting in the air. I, I have my own reaction to that sort of like blunt metaphor commentary mm-hmm. but uh, i'll let you say something for sure well i was just gonna say i i don't know if that's fully pablo lorraine or if that's stephen knight who i don't know if we mentioned wrote the screenplay and i know hot off you know, serenity ca- <laughs> well i mean hot off of um what was that uh, awful movie that came out this year lockdown oh um, yeah he did do lockdown i forgot about that Yeah, because i was thinking it's funny that he did one of the best films of the year and arguably the worst. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. And then um, last, one of the worst of last year's too. And then, I mean, he hasn't made a lot uh, of good films in general. I mean, I guess Lock was probably... 2019? Or was that 2020? 2019, but we, okay. we were seeing it early 2020. But he did Girl oh, okay. on Spider's Web, which wasn't very good. Okay, I, I never saw that one. I didn't really like Allied very much. I mean, I thought Burnt was okay. But right. and Pawn Sacrifice was I like Pawn Sacrifice, but Locke I, I think is probably one. his big movie. Yeah, Locke. Like, yeah, that's good. Well, that's why I was excited because it's just like he's really good about writing like a contained like chamber piece like that. And he directed where, like, it too. Right. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I was excited for that reason. And I think a lot of the stuff in his script, I don't think it's a bad script per se, but it does a lot rely a lot on text over subtext in a way that like dialogue can be very literal. A lot of the visual metaphors are kind of on the nose to a comical degree, I think at times. Yeah. Including this whole thing with, uh, Anne Boleyn, Anna Boleyn, uh, yeah. in a way that it was you just like, you don't have to say it. <laughs> I mean, I got it the first 10 times, like you yeah, can kind exactly. of calm down. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like that's where I feel like, okay, like put a little trust in your audience. Like we can, we can, we can figure this out after three or four times, you know, like I, I think I wasn't bothered so much about like the, like pheasant stuff and things like that. Like, I think that was done a little bit more tastefully, but yeah, just I, I think for me, that's what hold, 
keeps this back from being like a great film is just that there's just so many times where it feels like the movie doesn't trust itself or it doesn't trust its audience to be willing to be uh, a little bit more subdued, a little bit less obvious and on the nose with what it's trying to say about Princess Diana and stuff like that. And I think if it maybe respect itself or its audience a little bit more, it could have found that balance and, and been even more uh, profound in what it's it's communicating. But as it is, it feels like it's kind of robbing itself at different points, especially in the second half. I, 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 I get that. I, I have my own sort of like pet theory for what Knight and Lorraine are trying to get across. And, and, and look, this doesn't disqualify, I think, the criticism. I think it can still very much be like, okay, you know, please don't do this. But I think what he's trying to get at is I think they're doing it on purpose. I think they know that it's it's really like, ex, you know, over explanation Like you don't need to say that people are smart enough. But I think they're just trying to be like, okay, but everything in her life was so subtle. And so like everything is spoken and, you know, has double meaning. So I think they were trying to like present it as like, what if like the metaphor was just said out loud, like just say it because it's less that the impact of knowing that she's the pheasant and it's more of like her recognizing it and coming to terms with it. I think that's what they're going for. I don't think it works for every instance, like, I think there are a couple others. Like, I think the Anne Boleyn thing is the biggest issue. But I think there yeah. there is this sort of, like, intentional effort to let it be clear to the audience, not that they need to know that it's a thing, but that she knows it, right? And and I, mm-hmm. I still get, like, the criticisms can still stand for people because you're like, well, you trust that she knows that. I don't know. I, I think that because the movie is so abstract in other ways, they're just trying to, like, not lose sight of how smart and, you know, that this is the metaphor that she is, like, grabbing onto for herself. And there is something unique about that that I kind of appreciate about the movie. Yeah. I mean, I get that. I I guess for me, I find myself more frustrated by it because all the other tones that they're striving for, I think, throughout the film are done really effectively. Like, even like you said, even though it is speculative and kind of verges on, like, tabloid kind of ideas about uh, Prince Diane, I think it, it is able to be fairly tasteful in its presentation, be a very lovely, well-made film, and also, like, kind of have, like, these, like, Cassavetes-esque, like, woman under the influence sort of touches as well that kind of give the movie a jagged edge that somehow doesn't interfere with, like I said, the kind of more polished, uh, you know, pristine qualities of the film that I, I think it's that stuff. It's so well done and so well balanced throughout the film that when it does kind of do like a clunky visual metaphor like that, it just becomes more jarring to me because it's just like, well, you're doing so much of this stuff so well already. Why not just give yourself a little bit more faith to just kind of let that be a little bit more artfully done, I guess. I, I agree. Guess I agree. It could have been yeah, balanced yeah. better. Sure. Yeah. So that's that's my takeaway from that, at least. Sure. There was the cinematography. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't resist. Uh, no, the cinematography was was quite uh, yeah. <laughs> quite top. John's notch. watching uh, The Sopranos right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to I want to start doing that more often. In terms of there was a cinematography, <laughs> um, but no. So the cinematography here, Claire Mathen, uh, big year for her. I mean, she's she's coming off a of portrait of a lady on fire, which the cinematography in that was unbelievably good, and then. This year, she has not just this movie, but also Petite Maman, which a uh, gorgeous, gorgeous, stunning movie where that movie had also a lot of exteriors, a lot of woods, yeah. a lot of. Yeah, I it, might. Uh, I might see it Sunday. I, I hope you do. I'm going to try to. It's such a quick, yeah. lovely movie. And with Spencer, 
this movie has really big range. I mean, we, we kind of have mentioned how suffocated she is inside of the like Christmas house, but there are also a lot of like road shots here. There are a lot of like her wandering the wilderness there. There's a shot of a scarecrow in this that is just like, it really sticks in your brain. I mean, it, everything is just mm. a shot and such a striking lasting way. I think, um, in a way that's really punching above what I think Jackie was doing. Um, I, th- I just think that, Lorraine really found a kindred, like somebody who can really like bring his uh, vision forth uh, in a way that's really great. So uh, yeah, yeah. Cred- big credit to Claire Mathen for the cinematography yeah. here. And I mean, um, I mean, I don't know if it needs to be said, but I think it deserves to be said. Uh, the costumes in this movie are fantastic. Yes. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of a given, given it's a Princess Diana film, but because um, uh, the I costumes wish I are the- part of the story. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, they're a big, big part of the story. They're a big part of the story. They're a big part of Diana herself. I mean, at the very least, if uh, Kristen Stewart doesn't win Best Actress, I'd be shocked this movie didn't walk away with a Best Costume nomination, at very least. Dune Dune is the one. I think think Dune is going to be the... For costumes? The juggernaut for... Yeah, for costumes Uh, and for the technicals, because the costumes in Dune are pretty... I mean, I could see the Academy being like, ah, but you're an adaptation. You had, you had something to really build off of, but they could, they could say the same thing about this where it's like, okay, but you have, yeah, although they do have original outfits in here that are striking against the real life, which is, I mean, that's so impressive. I just you feel disagree? like the costumes are such a big part of the story here that, that, that would help it win over Dune where it's like, I feel like I could see that. Yeah. Dune is more about like the sound design, the, like, the, like, you know, maybe cinematography, maybe the score and stuff like that. I feel like that's going to be like what the Academy takes away from Dune in terms of award season. Sure. And it, it might be, be, it might be the case where they're like, okay, we gave, uh, I'm going to vote Dune on like all these other things like cinematography and production design. But then with, uh, I want to give Spencer something, you know what I mean? Like I, I could see that that said that they might be like, ah, but I'm giving Spencer best actress. I mean, you know how the Academy I mean, is. They can't be, they can't sure. be controlled. And I mean, like, obviously, I think like Corella and stuff's going to get nominated and like maybe House of Gucci and stuff like that. So like there'll be competition. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We will see. We will see. That's all I got for Spencer. I, I really liked this film a lot. I, you know, it's not my it's not one of my absolute favorites of the year, but of the award season bunch, it's one of the ones that I that really hit me the hardest. And I think that it's so fascinating. We mentioned this is an American actress in the role. This is a Chilean director, and they're doing something that is really take is transporting you to this like moment in time in the British royal family that I think yeah. is, you know, even even though we, I don't think this is going to top all the best you know best of the year lists across the board or anything. I think it is one of those movies that a lot of people, a lot of critics and and essayists are going to look back mm-hmm. on at being like, man, that that was a really good like under understated sort of like breakdown of a person's psychology in such a unique way. Like when people are talking about, I don't like this biopic because X, Y, and Z right. here, here's a movie that really did in a more interesting way. I, th- I think that it's going to be a great reference point for years to come. Yeah. And I, I think it's also just a weirdly kind of timely film too. Cause I think it's worth noting that I presume they wrote this last year. They filmed it this year in January. So it is, I think, it's kind of hard to ignore like the COVIDness of it. Like it, it is, you know, like a film in one confined space. It's kind of like the idea of like being suffocated in one location, stuff like that makes it weirdly kind of relevant to the pandemic in ways I don't feel like I want to dive too much into, but it, it does feel like a part of the text in a way that I think will make it quite a film for the now. I don't know if you feel similarly or want to even comment on that at all, but it's something I thought about. 
Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I consider it, yeah, like almost like a post pandemic movie in a sense that like, yeah, it's, I, I don't think that it's commenting directly on like lockdowns or anything like that. Cause it's not locked. No, down. I don't think it is. I mean, <laughs> but, he, Stephen Knight made his lockdown movie before yeah. this and it was awful. But there, but, there, um, there is yeah. a general stifling of like the world just feels so tragic and so uncertain that I think is more of a post pandemic thing. It's like we're coming out of it and like things have only gotten worse. And I think there's that right. sort of vibe to this movie yeah. that kind of echoes. Just as like kind of general sense of foreboding, just kind of like this idea of yeah. just like you can't really like like you have no sense of control, even though everything feels like uh timed out and like you know everything feels like so scheduled and manipulative but there's like this like suffocating sense that you can't like escape at any point in a way that i find really affecting and like i said really timely right now and just uh yeah i think it's a really really well done film for many reasons i agree spencer is now playing in theaters uh we came out in the u.s in the uk this past weekend and yeah if you can check it out in the theater definitely give it a give it a watch if you can do so safely i i saw it at home but i definitely got plenty out of it in that format as well yeah i saw it in theaters and i would definitely recommend seeing it that way we'll see how the box office does it's a 16 million dollar budget and it's, it had a bit of a slow start <laughs> so I, yeah, I don't know if this well, one's gonna you know but it, i think yeah. it's gonna have awards legs mm -hmm. you know like right. it's gonna have an initial release and i think that it'll get some like i i, I think that it has a shot at best picture i don't i will i think you think that i'm i'm wrong about that no i think it <laughs> has, has a lot shot. of competition yeah i think it, it will i mean i just don't know how well it's going to do right i mean yeah. i think it's, it seems like a lock for best actress like i said it seems like a lock for um best costumes maybe like um supporting actress for sally hawkins and maybe I, I think that's i mean timothy small there's a little bit of timothy action there small. but i think belfast is real there are so many other movies that are, are kicking up you know in terms of supporting actress supporting actress i think best picture is a question mark i think but um if, and director as well editing i think are two yeah. pretty likely ones um but we'll see you we'll see we'll see and i i hope that it I, I think that it is the kind of movie that might get like a late you know, or sorry, an early 2022 re-release that could pick it up a little bit even further. And I think Neon will want to do that because it's definitely one of their, their big contenders this year. So that is Spencer. All right. Rotten Tomatoes for Spencer. Well, actually, 209 reviews have been encountered for Spencer. It's quite a lot for the movie. Uh, I think because yeah, it, yeah. it was at Venice and, you know, it, right. it, it did it did a bunch of festival stuff. And I think people, critics were like, yeah, I got to see it. Well, so is what, it, do you, what do you think the score is? Is it doing well in the UK? I didn't ask that I don't earlier. Know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I imagine it will do well if it is, but maybe not. I don't know. Who knows? It's not doing well in general, uh, so I don't think. Yeah, you know, maybe not. It only made know. like $2 million over the weekend. Right. Yeah, I know it didn't do well at our theater. We're playing at the Harris Theater right now. It's not, not doing fantastic. Not awful, but not great. Um, but uh, I would say the Rotten Tomatoes score is an 87%. 85 it was, it was higher yeah it's, it's been dropping like trickle dropping quite a bit what about audience score audience score has 250 mm. plus verified ratings where, where do you think it's at with audiences my heart says 74 percent. your heart is about to be broken <laughs> 50 percent mm, right. oh 50 percent yeah wow that's people oh. people took one look at spencer and they were just like down with the monarchy <laughs> like mm. no thank you uh, i actually don't know what I the mean, cinema score is i don't think uh, it's been yeah. released yeah i don't know uh i know my yeah yeah they just they they didn't know what to make of it they're, they're the jury's still out with them um 
Yeah, I uh, I know the audience that were coming out of Spencer at our theater seemed a bit kind of like puzzled with the film. Like they weren't really sure what to make of it in a way that I could see audiences being kind of dismissive. Just like, oh, well, that's not that's I, I wanted like a movie about her, like her life, not like, you know, like her, uh, you know, uh, mental health or whatever, in a way that I feel like would make it, I think, more respectful later down the line. But I think at the moment, I could see the initial reaction being fairly uh, dismissive. But who knows? I don't know. I don't know for sure. I don't know either. But all right. No cinema score. So I guess we'll we'll get we'll see. We'll see if people, pit, you know, come back, fall back in love with Spencer. Who knows? Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.